What we're looking for is just long-term sustainability where you're going to deliver on two things. Number one, you're going to deliver on your purpose, right, of this school. And number two, you're going to deliver on your own personal goals. What you need to get out of it. And we have never met a studio owner dude who's come to us who's been like, what I'm looking to do is work more hours and run around, you know, run around like crazy. Everybody's coming to me saying like, I want to find more peace in the day-to-day -day operations of my company and I want to trust the future. Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. We are bringing another episode today. Um, this time around, a question that I have and that a number of people have had that have written in. And I'm just going to jump into it with a bit of a story. So a couple months ago, Nate, you and I, we went to Nashville, Tennessee. You were visiting your brother. I joined you there. And we did a day of planning for this podcast, for things that we're going to be up to this year, um, some secret plans we have going on, talking about clients, all kinds of stuff. And as we were looking, as we were doing that planning, we looked through some documents that I had around Grow's financial situation. Um, yep and just making plans for the upcoming year. And you started talking to me about forecasting. And this was a word that I've heard. It's a word that I know the definition of, but I didn't exactly know what it is that you were doing there. And so as I dug in a little bit, I know that forecasting is something that you do for Brooklyn Music Factory. I know it's something that we work on with our clients. I want to dig in a little bit deeper, even to increase my own knowledge, kind of draw on your experience today to talk about why, first off, why does a school owner who's reaching for seven figures, why do they need to have financial fluency and how does forecasting play into that? So I'd love to dive into this topic with you and uh, maybe a good inroad would maybe just be, you know, to kind of answer that first question there. Um, Perhaps even with a little bit of a personal story, like when did financial fluency come onto your radar as a school owner? At Brooklyn Music Factory, like so many other school owners listening, um, you know, it's a, it can be a roller coaster. Like um, we have people writing in and asking about how you predict and forecast and know for certain that this is going to, you're going to reach the financial goals you want or the enrollment you want. And the reality is, and well, I'm sure we'll get into this in a future podcast, but it's very difficult to actually predict specifically the outcome that your school is going to have. However, hmm. you can forecast scenarios, i.e. Interesting. Yeah, a great scenario, an okay scenario, a not so great scenario. And at BMF, we've gone through um, a couple of really hard chapters. We have had to leave not one but two locations over our 12 years and each time it's been kind of a come to, you know, it's like a come to Jesus moment where we're like, wait a minute, we had planned on serving all these mm. families and growing at this location. And now for various reasons, 
things happened in the first location where the landlord decided to renovate the building and it turned into a nightmare. They ended up losing their building. We ended up losing our home. And so, yeah, dude, at that moment, I was like, wait a minute. I need to figure out actually what you do when you have these unpredictable scenarios. How do you prepare yourself so that you can either go down path A or path B if you need to, and even path C? Like, well, how do you do that? So honestly, it was like seven years ago that I started going like, wait a minute, time to crack open the books, start asking for help. <laughs> so maybe, maybe even to get started, there's a word you throw around a lot and you've thrown it around past podcasts and in conversation with me in private and, and do Slack and those sorts of things, but maybe just give us a very short working definition of how you even define the term financial fluency. Yes, totally. Because like, that's what you're getting at there. That's kind of when you went yeah. through that nightmare scenario with BMS seven years ago, this came onto your radar as, as I asked. So how would you define that term financial fluency? Really simply, you understand historically what you've done. And when I say financial fluency, I mean with cash and how the service you offered is linked to that. You okay. understand historically what you've done and the trends that you, and you can see trends historically up to today. You understand exactly right now today, you have a snapshot of where you are. In other words, exactly the amount of money you're bringing in today or this month, exactly what it costs to bring in that money today. And the third piece of financial fluency is that you have some version of a system in place to be able to look ahead in two mm -hmm. ways. Number one, a cash flow report. So we look ahead six months. Ideally, I'd love to look ahead a year, but right now we look ahead six months and say, I know I have enough cash to operate this company for six more months on the growth path that we are. And then the second part of financial fluency in the future is what we're talking about today forecasting, um, I'd say a solid one to three years out. And eventually your financial fluency will get to the point where you can forecast 10 years out. Okay. Let's talk about that. Mm. What are you forecasting? Yes. Great. We're forecasting. Um, to, I mean, in the case of a music school, we're, for, we're literally forecasting what are the services that we offer currently, i.e. private lessons in our class, in our case, private lessons, group lessons. Um, we're saying, given what we do today, what percentage of those, that inventory, those, those studios are sold out? Mm -hmm. How much inventory is available still to sell? And then we're forecasting how long it will take to fill that remaining inventory. That's one piece of forecasting. The second piece of forecasting, Daniel, is that fourth bucket. It's the new business bucket. We were saying, okay, but we also want to introduce um, like a song lab, a, a, a teen songwriting program, but we don't have proof historically that we've succeeded with that. So I'm going to forecast out that it's going to take three years to grow that program from say a dozen students to 68 students. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to be, and I'm going to say, Hey, I'm forecasting that it's going to take this much marketing. I'm probably, you know, that kind of thing. So, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Yo, yo. It would, it would seem, uh, there's two parts to this. It, I think from the outside looking in, it could look like you're just making those numbers up. And I'd love to know, part one, how this is not just making it up. And number two, um, I would forecast based on marketing metrics. 
Uh, One of the things I teach people that I consult with on marketing is if you understand the numbers in your funnel, you will find that if you keep doing the same repeatable actions in, in your marketing systems, that you will often have very similar numbers from month to month, and you can actually predict the number of students that will come in. So I can see from a marketing perspective why you could predict the number of students you'd get, let's say, over the next year. Um, and, and again, I'm basing this on personal experience. I would spend X number of dollars per year on ads. And for several years in a row, I spent about that same amount and I got about the same number of leads. I got about the same amount of traffic. So I came to rely on that. How do you, how do, you do that with the, the, the cash report or the profit and loss statement? So I asked two questions there, uh, and I kind of held those in tension, but I do feel that those are kind of connected, that it feels a little bit like, aren't you just making this up? And then how do you do forecasting based on, on cash and, and the financial piece and your bank statements and all that, when I can clearly see how it is done with marketing, but how is it done with the cash part? Um, can I ask you a question about your marketing? Oh, I love that. And sure. then I'm going to get to the cash part. So... Y- the example you give is great marketing metrics. You're saying, Hey, if I put in this much cash, mm-hmm. you build your funnel. Like you're so great at, you know, you helped us, you helped me at BMF. You've helped a lot of people. You build a funnel. You say, okay, now this is reliable. If I put in, if I put in a hundred bucks, I'm going to get in five leads. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I would is, believe I would trust in that. Yeah. Yeah. You have trust in, it's a reliable system that you build trust in. So I have a two part question for you. First of all, how do you get to the point of reliability? Okay. How did you get go from the point of, hey, I'm just managing to get by on this? Like we've heard a lot of studio owners talk that way. I think I understand what's how do you get from that point of like, well, I think it's working to no, no, no I have a reliable system. I trust the information. Can okay. I start with that question? Just like I know you can't go into the weeds on it, but just give us a general point. How do you get to trust? <sighs> How would I get to trust on that? Okay. So f- for me, well, there's two perspectives on this. I think I'm going to look backwards towards it. <laughs> you okay. can't know this as you're going through. This is a commentary from. It's a hindsight. Yeah, you go back. It's a hindsight thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, I get it. I don't man. know why my words were failing me there, but they were. Um, yeah, dig it. Go. So in hindsight, yeah. what I see and and this is how I train studio owners to do this, is that you look at each piece of the funnel, you see that it's underperforming based on a metric, an, um, an aspirational metric that we have. Maybe aspirational is the wrong word. Maybe a better term to use would be a benchmark. A benchmark that when I first started doing this, I didn't even know what the benchmark was. But as I researched and studied and then had proof over time, I came to see what the ranges were. And so when I teach people to to fix their own marketing, we look at each aspect of the funnel, their traffic, how their site's performing, how many people become leads versus how many people actually found them. And then how many people become students versus how many people reached out, you know, so they might get a hundred people reaching out. They only get 25 people signing up. Eh, That's actually way below a benchmark that I would say is healthy. So there are benchmarks and then there are actions that you can perform in each of those benchmark categories to improve the number in that category. So if you're not getting enough leads, it's more than likely your copy or your website is bad. So I have a huge list of things that I train people to do to change that. They do those things. And there is a lady I worked with right after the pandemic started. 
Um, she'd lost a bunch of students due to, you know, the big health crisis in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, she came to us. She had an okay website. She went through our rubric for improving results, improving the number of people contacting you once they find your site. And she literally went from getting about one and a half percent of her visitors to reach out to, depending on the month, eight and a half to 11 and a half percent of her visitors. So in some cases, like an eightfold increase in the number of people reaching out for no additional cost. It was just like, she already had the people coming. She was already paying for the traffic, but she was literally getting eight times as many requests on the same budget simply because of that rubric. So that's an example of what I'm talking about. There are things that we can do in each category to raise ourselves at least to the benchmark or above. So, so that's, those are awesome. Cause you're basically saying, um, you're saying two things that I hear. Number one, that there's a range and it's based yes. sort of on industry standards. You're like, Hey, yes. basic range. For example, you're talking about number of website visitors that actually opt in. Right. Yes. They go in from 1.5 to 8.5. And you've you shared this with me. You're like, Nate, we need to get your landing pages between nine and 12 or 15 percent, you know, et cetera. And so so I go to my team and I'm like, here's the benchmark. So um, and then what I also like is that you break it down into different pieces of the journey, different places in the funnel. And we want to think the exact same way. Yeah. I knew you were going to go there. Like yeah. you're, you, you're going to draw the connection here. I love it. Yeah. I want to go the exact, I want us to think the exact same way around cash and how it moves through our business. Hmm. And, I, and, and when I say financial fluency, step one is about having historical information that you trust. That's the hindsight piece where you're looking back at your studio. So let's say you're, um, let's say you're a five teacher <sighs> studio. Okay, you got five teachers plus you. You're looking at all five of those teachers and you're saying, okay, how much income are each one of those teachers generating, right? Then you're saying, okay, how, what's the retention of each one of those teachers of their students from season to season? You're saying, like, for, you're saying what percentage of these students are actually going to stick with us from season to season? So then you're saying, okay, got it. Let's say teacher A brings in um, you know, a thousand dollars a month in income, and she retains eighty percent of her students from season to season. So that's so you can say, okay, a thousand dollars came in on this season. Well, actually, I can bank on the fact that about eight hundred of those dollars are going to continue from season to season, right? Hmm. So only eighty percent of those dollars will continue because that's the retention rate that she historically has. And I wanted to say, make it, I want to make a very important point right here because it links back to your marketing example, dude. This studio owner you went with who just got hit super hard and, and was converting at 1.5% and feeling a panic because so many of our students left, right? Um, it's very difficult to see the opportunity down the road when you're in that situation and you can get totally mired in this headspace of like, well, there's so many different fixes I could make. I'm not going to make any. I'm overwhelmed by all the fixes that I could do. Like, it's amazing that she's even reaching out and asking for help because usually when we get caught in this trap of a spiral of losing students and feeling like we've lost our optimism and everything, 
we don't oftentimes ask for help. So when we're talking about financial fluency, a similar thing can happen. We think, man, I have to learn about cash flow reports, profit and loss statements. I have to do historical analysis. I have to figure out how to my balance sheet. And now Nate and Daniel are saying, you need to read a forecasting book and figure out how to get a three to 10 year forecast. Next thing you know, you're just checked out. You're like, no, I'm not going to do any of it. I'm going to continue to exist in the fog of a lack of fluency, not really understanding it. And so we got to push pause here for a minute and be like, you don't have to do everything this week, month, or even year. Start with one area of your fluency that you're going to build that will eventually, down the path, get you to a 10-year forecast like we use at BMF. For example, you could do something as simple as what, Daniel, you just said. You're like, start with what you already know. Look at how much cash you made in the last month. Look at how much cash you made in the last 12 months, month by month. Start really simple. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. You had a question, comment. What do you got? I just simply thought that I think with most studios, you would have lost them. This is not bad, by the way. You yeah. would have lost them even at knowing how much each individual teacher is bringing in. Uh, yes. And I think because it's my experience, I've talked to plenty of studio owners, 100, 200, 300 students, where even simple questions that I thought, oh, surely they know this number. Oh, well, I, I know where I can find that, you know. Mm. Um, whereas, and this isn't meant to be judgmental in any way. I think it was just a different approach that I had to knowing my studio that I had a dashboard where those, I looked at those numbers every day. And it wasn't a huge cost for me to, to maintain that dashboard. Not a big cost in time or energy to maintain it. In fact, it contributed to my time and energy because I slept a lot easier at night knowing what the truth was about the studio. And I think for most people, and again, th these comments could feel a little judgy, a little shamey, a little guilty, inducing. It's not the intention. The intention is that, that I think, and you hit on it also in what you said there, I think most owners don't even know what they should be tracking. They don't know. My experience when people come to me for marketing is they didn't even know they were supposed to be keeping track of those numbers that I just rattled off there five minutes ago. I don't think people know that they're supposed to be keeping track of those categories. Maybe just as a little bit of a help or service to folks, maybe we could list four or five, six categories of things that a, a school that has that is at seven figures or is aspirationally reaching for seven figures. Maybe there's a number of things that we could tell people, hey, just trust us. Start tracking. Keep track it. Yeah. Start tracking this now. And maybe someday, maybe you don't even know why you're doing it. But yeah. maybe like a year yeah. down the road, you go to a coach or something, or um, you know, you, you work with a business coach, or you, you you finally have time to read that book that you've always been meaning to read, and you've got that historical data. And now, whoosh, it's like magic. Like, oh my goodness, I can do something with this now. I love it when people come to me 
um, for marketing help. And even though they weren't using it or tracking it or looking at it, they installed Google Analytics on their site and they've got years of data and they never once looked at it. But I can go in there and in five minutes have a, a, a clear picture of what their problem is. Right. So simply because they installed that free tool on their site. Similarly, what are some categories, bullet points that we could give to people? Hey, tr- just trust us, track this. There's a reason to do it. And heck, you know, maybe they come to us in a couple of months and say, hey, I've been tracking this. I need help with this, Daniel. Nate, can you show me what to do with this now? Um, so let's hear it, Nate. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, and I think let's let's stay focused on the cash part. Let's stay focused on the finance yes. part. Dig it? So data point number one you want to begin to track is how much are you spending on humans? What's your cost of labor, right? You're not including yourself as an owner who's taking yeah. cash. Doesn't matter. And you're gonna and you're gonna break this down down to the person or the department, you don't depending on the size of your school. Depending on the size, I'm gonna start just with the cost of labor, which is okay. Your studio makes fifty thousand dollars a month. Of that fifty thousand dollars you make each month, twenty two thousand goes to pay humans to deliver the service. Figure out what that number is, okay? Second data point you're going to figure out, and this is where forecast, this is an essential concept around forecasting, Daniel. You're going to convert that to percentages. You're going to say, okay, of $50,000, $22,000 goes towards people. Therefore, X percent of my income has to go to what we call a direct expense, right? You can't teach a lesson unless there's someone to teach it. In, if, you're, if you're delivering a service, right? Okay, that's data point number one. Dollars. Two. Or two, sorry. Dollars yeah. and then data point number two, convert it to percentages. The second data point I want you to get is an overall cost, an operational cost to run your company. So again, don't include you in there. Let's say you're an LLC, just like we are at Brooklyn Music Factory. My business partner and I, we're not anywhere on there. It's just, here's what we pay the the teachers. Underneath it is everything from keeping the lights on, paying the rent, paying for those Google ads, everything else, okay? Um, That's going to be number three. Just what are your operational expenses? And it can be one simple number. Could be like, okay, back to that $50,000 a month school, $22,000 go to uh, cost of labor, and another... 18,000 go to running the company every month, right? It's paying for anything to keep you going every month. It could be your admin support. It could be your admin support. Mind you, that's not in cost of labor because that admin support is not teaching a lesson, right? Could be your rent, could be your electricity. Okay, so now you've got $10,000 left over out of your $50,000 a month budget, right? So that gets you to data point number four, which is, what is your net income, right? Mm. That's the $10,000. That's what's left over. This is a super simple budget right here. Yeah. Super simple operating budget. And this is exactly, Daniel, what you and I do with studio owners right out of the gate when they start working with us. We're just like, listen, we're just going to build some financial fluency right out of the gate. And we're going to keep it so damn simple that it fits on like five lines of a Google sheet. Yeah. Right? Okay. Now, of that net income, your final um, data point is going to be 
uh, a pretty straightforward one, and this is probably going to resonate with everybody that's listening because everybody that's listening is most likely, not always, but most likely still in the classroom in some way, right? Like I'm still teaching at BMF. I love it. It's one of my favorite places. So we're looking at that net income, and the last thing we're saying is, okay, given the net income I have, could be negative, by the way, but in our example, we've got $10,000 left over. What percentage of that is actually going to pay my time, pay for my time to teach students? Right? Because that's actually a direct cost. It's like, for example, if you've got 10 students what, and it takes you, takes you five hours to teach them, what does it actually cost for five hours of your time? And so then you're going to pull out of that net income the last piece, which is going to be like, what do you actually cost to be delivering the service in your company? And so let's say that for five hours of your time, every, you know, five hours a week and every month, that's another $2,500 that you'd actually need to get paid if you didn't own a business and you were just teaching. You're just teaching some lessons. That means your actual net income is $7,500. So data points, if they're, not, they're not sexy. You're not like, man, I can't wait to go figure this out. But they're vital. They're like a vital first step. Um, and we would get far more, and maybe we will get far more. Actually, we have a future episode coming up where we're talking about how do you find a new space? Like, how do you know when it's time to get a new facility? And then how do you go through that? Well, we're going to look at data points within the operational expenses and say, okay, hmm, now we need to actually get more detailed with our budget in order to find a new space. But for now, those are that's a great place to start with a simple budget. Yeah. But another question for you. Yeah, hit me. And I know that you worked with this particular person a bit more than I did on this point because mm. um, we kind of shared the duties. But we recently were working with someone that, uh, let's just call her Jane. Okay, Jane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we used John in, the, in a previous episode. We'll use Jane this time. Uh, okay. Love it. <laughs> um, so we were working with Jane and school of around 120. Mm-hmm. And there were systems set in the business in various areas, but I'd like to just have you talk through the work you did with her around this financial fluency piece. Like what, what had she been doing correctly in her financial wing of the business or financial buck of the business? Um, and then what did you have her implement? And maybe it was just, you know, a variation of what you were just yeah. describing here for the last few minutes. So maybe we don't have to dwell on that too long, but then what was the result? So start with where she was at, tell me what she had her implement, and then what was the result for her that you could observably and demonstrably prove was true? Yeah, the first thing that I really appreciated about Jane when she came to us is she didn't have it all organized. She wasn't like, Mm -hmm. here's all my cash organized in a budget, Nate, take a look. But what she did have is no fear around dollars. She was ready and willing to look at them, and she... I think she had quick she had QuickBooks set up so she she could pull a report and basically look at her cash. She didn't necessarily know what to do with all the numbers, but she could find them, right? So the first thing we did was just I gave her a simple I gave her a simple exercise which said, "Okay, I want you to just like you were talking about your marketing metrics, which is same exact exercise only it's with dollars. I want you to go back to 2020 and I want you to make a simple spreadsheet January through December 
And I want you to write in how much income you made in each month. And then I want you to write in, in the next column, what were your operating expenses in each month? And then in the third column, I want you to write in what was left over. You don't even have to write it in, just make the formula, right? Okay, that was step one. That alone is massive, dude. That's like going back to your marketing metrics of just saying like, hey, actually, I'm going to look at Google Analytics. I installed it. Now I'm going to actually look and see what's been happening. Right. <laughs> okay. So then she comes back. She does the homework. She was a great client for us. She's really like, she's like, okay, I'm in. I'm ready to develop my financial fluency. And that's, of course, vital. Next thing we did was I said, okay, well, let's actually now analyze the numbers. Let's figure out how much cash was left over each month or how short you were each month. And let's begin to um, develop what we call a cash flow report. Okay, so then the final step, what we did is Jane and I just looked at it and said, okay, well, how do you actually project forward? She really wanted to have some version of a cash flow report. Most companies we work with, most clients we've talked to, they have no version of a cash flow report. Yeah, even, even gigantic studios yeah, three yeah. quarters of a million a million million and a half like yeah it's surprising to me sometimes but there it is yeah so what we did is we just said okay well let's take a look at whatever um you've done historically let's average out some numbers and let's project out six months or better yet maybe in her case she was doing this and maybe in your case you're doing this too you're on some sort of monthly recurring revenue model or and you've enrolled students for the year and you can actually look in your software, like we use um, Infusionsoft now called Keep. We use that and we just get a cash flow, a cash receivables report, right? So we're just saying like, well, we know we're going to, right now we're expecting to collect, you know, $70,000 on June 1st and it's January right now. So the last step we did with her is we just mapped out a cash flow for six months out. And so she could look and be like, oh man, if things don't change... I'm actually going to not hit my income goals, my personal income goals. Uh, and that's the last comment I'll make on, on this, Daniel, is that it all gets back to what our personal goals are, one of which is probably an income goal, and then how our business is going to serve that. And when we're developing these, these, when we're starting to develop a financial fluency, then we're beginning to link our own personal goals, that annual plan we talked about, we're really beginning to link our business serving that income goal or that savings goal we have. You know, so that's the last thing I'll say is it's, it's vital because it, it's there to serve us. The business is meant to serve us, you know. This leads me to the question then, what did this change for her? What did you see? As a result of doing this exercise, did it change anything for her? Here's a very specific example. She's looking to expand her studio, right? So she was looking mm -hmm. for new locations. And she knew that in that new location, she could potentially expand her inventory, but she'd also need a bunch of capital in order to do the build out and get it open. And so using her cash flow report, she actually decided to pause on opening a new location for another year. Hmm. Until that cash flow report looked a little bit healthier for her. She had a little so it, bit more money. Wow. So it led directly to a decision that she could have entered into 
you know, almost like f- um, flying blind, you know, an aviation analogy there, but she could have flown blind into that situation thinking, oh, you know, we've grown by X number of students over the last six months. I'm sure it's going to be great, but yeah. she made an intelligent, rational, and most importantly, informed decision based on it. I, I have a, I have another question. This is maybe playing devil's advocate again, but what does it matter? Like, what if you just throw all of your effort and attention into adding as many students as possible and just increasing, you know, money as much as possible, you know, is that, can we get around having to look at it if we just sell the heck out of our studio and and get a ton of leads? Okay. So I'm going to answer this by quoting multiple studio owners that we talked to. Right. <laughs> I know where this is going, but yeah. I, I'm, 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 I'm teeing the ball up there for you. Nate. Yeah. You're just going to hit it over the outfield wall. <laughs> there is not one person that doesn't come to us, Daniel, that doesn't say they're overwhelmed with a barrage of tasks and um, distractions and things that they have to do in their business that they just don't have time for. And so, one of the difficulties we see right out of the gate when listening and, uh, to their story is that we're just like, wait a minute. They actually don't have a view on the future. So everything is just today and everything is just a, you know, a field full of fires that they're trying to put out. And growth for growth's sake, I mean, we talked about this before, is just a, is it, is it, is a total, um, it's just a, it's just flat out not the way to grow a healthy, systemized, sustainable, mission-driven school. If all you're doing is pulling in customers day in and day out, selling the heck out of your studio, which, mind you, it's awesome that you have those skills. It's not bad, it's not bad yeah. at all. But what we're looking for is this long-term sustainability where you're going to deliver on two things. Number one, you're going to deliver on your purpose, right, of this school. And number two, you're going to deliver on your own personal goals, what you need to get out of it. And we have never met a studio owner, dude, who's come to us who's been like, what I'm looking to do is work more hours and (laughs) run around, you know, run around like crazy. Everybody's coming to me saying, like, I want to find more peace in the day-to-day operations of my company, and I want to trust the future. Yeah. Imagine, if you will, a boat, all right? <laughs> yeah. And that boat has a tiny hole in it, and maybe a couple tiny holes, and they're not big enough to actually sink the boat. But if you, if you leave the holes unplugged, water will come in and sink the boat. So you're down there, you're in the bottom of the ship, you're bucket after bucket after bucket all day long, every darn day, Okay. Getting comfortable with your metrics, learning some of the things we've talked about here, actually organizing and tracking these financial metrics, these marketing metrics, is a little bit like teaching yourself how to patch the holes hmm. and then doing that one time. And what I, what I get so often from studio owners is this fear that, oh, this is just another thing that's going to be thrown on top of this massive list of problems that I already have. And those problems, in my analogy, are the water that's coming in. But in reality, what they're fighting against is actually learning how to patch the holes so they can just drive the boat and not have to worry about it and actually have a joyful 
you know, wonderful day out in the sea and not have to worry about water coming in the boat anymore. And yeah, if I could just impress upon people that learning some of these skills isn't yet another thing you have to do. It's actually the thing that frees you up. It's actually the thing that makes running your business really, really fun. And personally, I spend very little time each month going through some of these things that we talked about today and that marketing stuff that I talked about earlier. I spend very little time dealing with that every single month. It's running so smoothly. I don't have to worry about it. We just have to be relentless enough to, to, to maybe take a little hit in our time and our energy in the short term so that long term, we're not bailing ourselves out for the next 20 years. Can I? Yes. You want to be up on the deck in the sun, <gasps> looking at the horizon. You don't want to be down in the belly of the ship all day, every day, plugging holes. As Daniel, you put it so beautifully. Great image. Um, can I leave us with a concrete example of how financial fluency is benefiting me literally today? Mm, love it. Factory. So uh, as some people might know, we're opening up a new location in the Gowanus, Brooklyn, where we uh, have been been for a dozen years. And I'm currently negotiating with like five different offers, like five different landlords, right? These are awesome spaces. They're going to be great, but we're in the process of getting numbers. And I literally just got a text from one broker who's like, hey, Nate, he's not going to be able to do $40 a square foot. He's going to have to do $45 a square foot. And he'll include HVAC and uh, two bathrooms in the build out. And that's it. And the fact that I have a forecast that's all set up in a spreadsheet that's just for discovering, uh, uh, for our budget around a new location, I can just simply adjust one number from $40 to $45 a square foot. Bam, the whole thing runs out. And I, I can recognize right now, okay, if we pay $5 more a square foot, over the next 10 years, that means it's going to cost me, mm. our company, an extra $112,000 over 10 years. Hmm. Okay, to make that $112,000, what amount of enrollment will we need to have to cover that spread? Is that going to work for us? Mm. That happens, Daniel, in like one minute. I yeah. literally get the text, I plug the number in, and then I go to my team and I give them an update. And then we, they help me make a decision. But I go to them with that financial clarity because they don't need to do it. Not everybody on your team needs to have fluency. Only you need to, <laughs> you know, or maybe your partner or one other person. But that's a concrete example. And, and it may sound like far off for people. They're like, that's crazy. I'm never going to have a 10-year forecast. Yes, you will. But it starts right now with just some simple work. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.